0: Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go.
1: You're not alone. We are all dealing with this and we are all concerned and we are all scared. But the fact that we're all together makes it, because for one time, people are together, thinking about, for the first time that I can ever remember, thinking about ways to be better.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. On today's show, we chat with chef, TV host, fitness guru, and family man, Michael Chernow who tears down the veil on our industry, showing us the best and worst it has to offer. The biggest advantage to coming up in the restaurant industry is that it forces you to be innovative. It's rare that you have the money you need, so you learn to do without, or you learn to do it yourself. Today, Michael Chernow leads us on a no-frills tour of the lessons he's learned at the highest levels of our industry. We begin with his assessment of where we are today.
1: I don't want this to be the end of my career, right? You know, like (laughs) I have visions for opening up restaurants, uh, in the future. And so I think, you know, I think New York city specifically is, uh, an epicenter for culture and community, and it predominantly revolves around restaurants and, and, uh, and, and ways people get together to communicate. And typically the easiest, most efficient way to get people together around a table to communicate is uh, over food and beverage. And so I don't see that going anywhere. I don't see people like losing interest in experience and memory making. I just don't. I think that that's gonna be something that human beings want forever. Uh, that said, I do believe that it's gonna take some time. And I'm sure uh, you know, some, you know, uh, I, I don't think people are going to be interested in going to restaurants that have staff that are, you know, wearing PPE and hazmat suits and, and masks. I don't see that being an alluring uh, uh, experience. I do believe that most likely when there is a vaccine in place, I think people will be much more comfortable going Uh, Into 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 big uh, community community settings. However, I also don't see any business uh, having large groups of people uh, congregating in any way uh, until there's a little bit of a calm. About you know, this thing is a real it's a real thing. I mean, people are getting it and dying. My grandfather has it; he's in critical condition, and we all know as a family, he's 98. I mean, he's not going to make it, you know, this is a real, uh, serious virus. And so I think until there's like a, 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 a true treatment, but even more so a a vaccination, um, we'll probably not see the, the,
0: the, the back end of this thing
1: for for some time.
0: And and what does that look like to you? Like it's, So I envision, like, all of my tables are six feet apart, right? Everyone is shrouded in PPE. You know, we're... we're, Are patrons wearing masks? Like, because you have to decide for yourself, for your own restaurants, what that customer service experience looks like. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: Have you given it any um, thought? You know, uh, I
1: think that most likely, I mean, being 50% capacity doesn't actually work in New York City. Uh, You cannot, because even if you're at 50% capacity, you kind of got to imagine that you're not going to be at 50% capacity all the time. And so you're probably doing 40% um, of the 100% that you were doing in sales. And so I just don't see people make, you can't make, you can't make the nut uh, with that kind of business. And so I don't see people opening up their restaurants at, you know, for, for dine in until uh there's the green light to open up at full capacity right um and so i see you know uh a lot of things changing i see uh i don't foresee landlords wanting to just have all their tenants vacate i don't think that that's a a viable option for landlords however i do know that landlords can write off lost what lost income for you know if they have a vacant space so there is a tax loophole in there for landlords where they're just like, well, I could just write it off Mm -hmm. based on my last year's rent for that retail space. Mm -hmm. So there's that scary component um, that landlords would just say, actually, you know what? Go. We'll wait it out. We'll wait two years until people are interested again, as opposed to signing a 10 year lease at like a next, you know, for pennies on the dollar. Right. Uh, But I do see that the, the, that you know, a lot of land, of people are human beings, and not everybody wants you know wants a, a, a an empty city. So landlords are going to have to start dealing, right? They're going to have to start making adjustments, and uh, and and I think for the first time in a long time, potentially in in, in T one markets like New York and Los Angeles and Miami and Chicago and Austin and. Uh, Dallas and places like that where, where landlords know that they have, a, you know, something very special. Uh, for the first time in a long time, the ball is sort of in the operator's court, you know, uh, which is very different than what we've been dealing with <laughs> since I've been a restaurant operator. Me too, that's uh...
0: always,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always just sort of like, I'm um, oh, sorry about that noise. No worries. Uh, I'm, I'm always like, oh, man, I'm going to have to just I'm going to have to give somewhere, you know, and now it's just like, actually, I don't think I have to give anywhere. You know, right. I think that for the first time ever, there's a potential to actually make some money in the restaurant business. If, if, if things do come back and you're able to strike a deal at a good
0: at a, at a place where it's where it's where it should be reasonable. Well, and on that note, I was just reading a Medium article and uh, the woman that wrote the article was talking about how everything is going to fundamentally change, at least for the people that survive. Uh, she was talking about how in her restaurant they recalculated pricing at like a 19% profit margin because she's tired of the razor thin margins, right? So she's just gonna charge more and either the market will bear it or they'll go out of business. Do you have mm. any thoughts on that and how, because this is a professional industry. And it's also one of the lifebloods of the American economy. And yet, when most people that are in our position don't have health care, right? The people that are running our places don't get subsidized health care. They don't have 401ks. They don't have any money saved. Because there's just not enough money to go around. The margins are too tight. Mm -hmm. Do you envision a scenario for yourself and for the industry whereby that that would change? That we would just make better decisions? I mean, look. You know, I
1: kind of, I kind of see this whole thing, though it's catastrophic and terrible, and this virus is obviously ravishing uh, towns and families um, across the globe. I do sort of look at this as a global reset, and by that I mean we are going to um, potentially be able to see things a bit differently, uh, and. Um, you know I, I in my heart of hearts I would love to say that you know everything's gonna change uh, I don't believe that's the case right I I, I don't believe that um, people are gonna start paying more money for food while you know going out I I don't see that being a thing um, I don't see restaurants you know standard you know the average sort of margin at, at, at a, at a, at a sit down restaurant, you know, 10, 10%, I don't see that going to 20% on average. Right. I just, I don't see that ever being, you know, because then it wouldn't be the restaurant business, you know, it wouldn't be as hard as it is. Um, it's such a delicate business. So I do think that healthcare is a real concern. Obviously, I think it's always been a real concern, I think the, the amount of people that work within our industry that are not able to afford health care and it's impossible for the for the owners to to pay for everybody to have health care uh, because, you know, the way I like to break it down is, you know, you walk into a retail store like The Gap or something like that. And, you know, it's a big five seven eight ten thousand 10,000 square foot store. And there's like three people working in there. Right. And so, you know for a restaurant to operate, uh, efficiently, you know, there's like 17 to 25 people in there, yeah. uh, at, 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 all times. And, you know, 25% of those people are, are on salary, high salaries. And the other, the other percentage of those people are, are uh, getting paid an hourly rate rate. And most of those hourly people are not, open to working in places that aren't going to give them at least five to ten hours of overtime right so it, 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 you know that that's what makes our business so tough uh, and 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 I can guarantee that food cost is not coming down right like it's if anything it's going up for sure right now it's going up way up because there's just not as much happening mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of you know places that are just not able to function. Um, So, you know, man, I'm having a really hard time figuring out, I I don't want to project what I, you know, I I am a glass half full guy all the time. Um, You know, uh, if I didn't have to open up another chain of restaurants in my career, I would actually be okay with that. Um, I've had a real look at my life, my career, and. Uh, you know especially in this time and I've been able to sit back and say you know the last two concepts that I've opened i've I've, 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 I've loved with all of my heart um, but I did notice that you know after the first one I spent a lot of my time as a project manager building the subsequent restaurants mm-hmm. i was I was a construction manager for the most part I was managing people building restaurants and I was not spending my time managing the staff within the restaurants because I was so focused on growing this business. Right. Which I don't think is a great place for me to be. I think I'd probably be more successful if I opened up a restaurant every three to five years as opposed to a new restaurant concept every three to five years. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I'm sort of looking at it, trying to figure out how how to be better on a daily basis. Maybe just have one restaurant for a while Uh, and really focus on making that one restaurant unbelievable. Um, And then, you know, in my 40s, I could figure out uh, how many more restaurants I want to
0: do. Right. I I was listening to a, uh, a podcast you were a guest on, and you said something really interesting, and I wanted to bring it up here. You said, so I guess to start, fitness has always been central to who I am as a person. I've always been super passionate about it. I know you are too which is actually a rarity in the industry. But you said that people will ask you, hey, man, how'd you get in such great shape? And you were like, it's not that fucking hard, right? I eat right, and I wake up early, and I work out every day. Um, and that was, that's the secret of success, right? It's just about making the right choices in consistency. But yeah. putting the work in is 90% of the value that you get out of working out. Uh, But that's not true in business, right? Like, if if just working hard was enough to get you there, then there would be way more successful people out there. But there's luck, there's timing, and Mm -hmm. most importantly, it's just about making the right decisions. Um, And you're a really successful guy, so you've obviously put in the work, but you've also made a lot of really good decisions. Um, Can you think of any off the top of your head that are just like, man, like, that was... That was a pivotal choice that I made that worked out incredibly well.
1: I can tell you when I just made. That, <laughs> I would love uh, to hear it.
0: That was a lot of luck. And, and uh,
1: you know, I, so, so basically the way I've, I've sort of thought about my career is I've been working. I mean, I've never had a job in any other industry. And I started working in restaurants when I, was, I had just turned 13. So for the last 27 years, this is all I've known. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, I have operated restaurants as a technician, as a manager, as an owner, I know the ins and outs of what it takes to open a restaurant, launch a business, run the business, all the aspects of running the business. So I'm not like a fan of all the different elements, but I know where I, I know where I stand. Um, and I know where I'm, I'm best suited, uh. So I've always said, you know, I love creating the businesses. Um, I love developing them. And so I'm probably going to launch, you know, somewhere between three and five brands within the restaurant space throughout my career and tenure in the industry as an operator. Uh, and Meatball Shop, I, I founded with Daniel Holzman. We built it together for four, four years. I, I knew that I wanted to do something else. I knew that I wanted to get creative again, so I sold my equity, or the, the, the large majority of my equity to my partners at the meatball shop, and then I created Seymour's. Built Seymour's, took on a partner about a year and a half in. Uh, four years into Seymour's, I knew that it was time for me to take, um, start making a, a, a plan to exit so I can create again. And in November um, of 2019, I sold the majority of my equity at Seymour's. And that decision obviously (laughs) was a very good decision considering where we are today. Right. Uh, Had I not done that, I would be a lot more stressed out than I am right now sitting here with you. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I don't know if that was like, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, I've, I've learned a lot over the years and, um, and, uh, and I learn, and I'm still learning on a daily basis. And if I'm not learning, I'm not growing. And if I'm not growing, I'm dying. So I am like, I love to learn. And some people have said things to me over the years. That's, you know, like, oh, you got to take it to the finish line and you got to run it you know, like the greatest brand. And, and a lot of other people have said to me, man, as an entrepreneur, especially in the world of food and beverage, you can take equity off the table. Take as much as you can and do it whenever you can. Do not be an egotistical, prideful CEO, uh, founder that is just going to think that their business is worth so much more money than, you know, uh, everybody thinks I'm a, I'm a billionaire, like literally. Like They're just like, oh my God, the guy's got this restaurant and that restaurant, and he's got to be rich. And I'm like, do you realize that you don't make money in the restaurant business? Right, right. <laughs> You know, it's, just, it's, it's a tough business. So like any opportunity I get to sell a piece of, of, of equity that of a company that I created value in, mm-hmm. I take it and I took it in November. And so that, that was a really great decision. I did the same thing with the meatball shop. That was a really great decision. I'm sitting in a house, you know, two hours out of New York City that I bought after I sold equity at the meatball shop. And because I made that decision and I was able to do that, now I have a house two hours out of the city that my family is living in and we're not stuck in our place in Brooklyn. And so I think decisions like that over the years that I've made in some people's eyes would be like, well, you know, maybe it's worth more money than when you sold it. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> but I don't, I I just know that I've made decisions that have truly changed my life. Um, I do not come from... Any money at all, and so like being able to buy my my mother and my sister like a beautiful handbag for their birthdays—it's like m- m- mountain moving for me. Uh, and uh, and and I've only been able to do that because I've I've been passionate about the restaurant business, and I've listened to a lot of my mentors tell me um, things to think about as I grow, don't get emotionally attached, you know, don't make yourself a fixture of your business. Um, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I think those are, I think those are some of the decisions that I've made over the years that I think would, would probably, um, you know, help some people, right? Like if you have an opportunity to sell equity, fucking do it. Absolutely.
0: Bro, your equity is, I tell people this all the time, your equity is only worth something when you sell it. So if you don't sell it, it's not worth shit. Let's talk about Seymour's. I think it's a concept that you can be really, really proud of. Um, I am a huge proponent of sustainability, Uh, you know, responsible animal husbandry, all of these really unsexy things um, that are just now becoming popularized. Um, but you've been in a game of sustainability for a really long time. Uh, I don't see a lot of functioning, active restaurants transitioning to a sustainable concept. But having said that, everybody's shut down. So if it was ever going to happen, this is the moment. Can you talk about what it's like to run a, a, a responsibly sourced restaurant, and, you know, how it is possible to make money in doing that?
1: Yes. So, you know, when I was coming up with the idea for Seymour's, I was, I, I'm, I've always been deeply passionate about seafood in the ocean. Um, and I've always wanted to open up a seafood restaurant. You know, a year after we opened up the meatball shop, there was a little bodega right next to us um, on Stanton Street, tiny little, tiny little place, like it would just be a window. And literally, I was like, I want to take, I want to buy that place from that guy and open up a straight up fish taco spot and call it fish taco. All I wanted to do was like, boom, right next to the meatball shop, you can also get a good fish taco. And so that's when the seed was planted for me nine and a half years ago. When I was ready to move on from the meatball shop, you know, in terms of my day-to-day ownership, I started to really sort of do diligence on the ocean and what it would look like to open up a seafood restaurant. And the more I researched, the more I learned that the ocean is not in a great place. And um, I know that the United States is, is really sort of working hard on trying to figure out the best practices for all the fisheries here. And we're doing a pretty damn good job, but globally it's, a, it's in bad shape, bad, bad, really bad shape. And so I, as I was doing the, the research, I, I, was, I was looking at, um, I was lifting up rocks and trying to figure out like, how can I do this responsibly? right? Like, or should I, or can I even do it responsibly? Is it right for me to open up a seafood restaurant? And then I started looking at, uh, the, the fish that I grew up catching because I grew up fishing on Sundays. It was tradition myself and a bunch of kids from my sports team, uh, would get on a school bus at five o'clock in the morning. And our coach would drive out to capture Freeport Long Island and take us all fishing on the party boats. And I just did it every Sunday for years growing up. And so that's where fishing really became a passion of mine. And so I started looking at porgy and bluefish and blackfish and monkfish and tilefish. And, uh, you know, a lot of the the pollocks and the haddocks and the hakes and the skate, All the fish that nobody knows anything about but swims abundantly. They were all completely sustainable. I know that they're delicious because I been eating them for many many years they're underutilized and incredibly underpriced because nobody's putting them on menus mm-hmm. and so not only was it an environmentally responsible decision I was making it was an economically efficient decision I was making because I could buy dogfish for a dollar fifty a pound clean compared to buying halibut for Twenty six ninety nine a pound, clean. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. For so sure. I was looking at this model and saying, "Holy smokes! Like I could really create a business here um, that is absolutely one hundred percent risky because I'm going to be trying to sell seafood that nobody knows about, even though they swim as close to home as possible." Um, but on the on the back of the success of the meatball shop and the momentum I had at the time in my career. I felt like I can get people to come in and try it. And I also knew that like what I sell at my restaurants is not really food. I mean, I sell food, of course, and, and beverage, but really what I sell and what I think I, 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 I'm known for is creating environments and cultures, right? Like I created, I, I love creating the culture within the company of the staff. And that ultimately is the expression of what we do, right? Like people just enjoy working at these restaurants. And uh, and so if, they, if, I, if the staff loves doing it, man, like, you you know, that's 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 crucial. That's the most important piece. They've got to love doing it. And they also got to love the person that they're doing it for. Right. Um, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about like the, the guests. They've got to like, you know, but I attract a great guest. And so anyway, I thought I could sell Bluefish to New York City. I just I was like, I, if, there's, if there's anybody that can do it, I can do it. Um, and I had that confidence because I was able to sell meatballs, you know, I was able to make meatballs cool. Uh, and so I, I put this plan together and I drew up this business model and, um, I, 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 didn't have any partners and, um, and I developed all these relationships with all these fishermen that were just like, hell yeah, we'll sell you our fish. You know, like they, you know, they, 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 they were getting pennies for their fish. Right. 90% of the seafood that is caught in the United States of America is exported. 90%. And 90% of the seafood that we eat in America is imported. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: The fish that's caught here, the fish that's caught here is literally caught and then packed, shipped overseas to get broken down into fillets and then sent back here because it's cheaper to have the labor overseas do the do the the, the butchering than it is here. It's just a totally backwards fucking insane system. And so I said, let's stop BSing and uh, let's create a really cool spot that people would love to, to be at. And then we'll give them something that they might not know they want, but once they taste it, they'll actually want. And also I'll open up a seafood restaurant that's not 75 bucks ahead. And so that's what I did. So we're saving the fucking world. Uh, we're not <laughs> charging people a lot of money. And, um, you know, and we're introducing really cool species
0: of food to people that would not have known it any other way. That's awesome. And now when you look forward, so there's there's this data coming out of Cornell University and they're saying that the future of the dine in restaurant is this. It's going to be like a third bodega style uh, grocery retail. It's going to be a third delivery and takeout um you know like meal prep things like that and then a third dine in as a restaurateur when you hear that do you go, oh that's cool i would try that or do you hear that and you're like no thank you that's not what i got into this for
1: you mean like that is what a new restaurant is going to look like like that's it's all three components
0: yeah that's what they're saying the future of dine in restaurants are is that it, it would be comprised of three revenue centers i mean is that is that a challenge you would even be willing to take on
1: yeah, man. I like that idea. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a concept uh, or a the concept. There's a, a business in California called air One market. Are you familiar? Mm, I am. So I think what they do is un, is amazing. I love that business. It's a, it's a, it's a grocery store with like the most cutting edge, really cool sort of, uh, you know, entrepreneurial brands. Uh, they have an unbelievable hot and cold food bar that everybody I know eats at every day. Mm-hmm. Um, And then now they're obviously, they've incorporated a big delivery component into their business based on the COVID stuff. So I think it's a brilliant business. I really like it because, um, you know, labor is so tough. Labor is so, so tough. And if you can create an experience for people uh, and a brand that's trustworthy without having to spend, you know, every single one of my restaurants is full service. What does that mean? That means that I need to have a front of house manager and a back of house manager on the floor all the time. So in a more counter service model, you have one manager, right? And then the rest are hourlies for the most part. And so I like that model a lot better. I love hospitality. So, you know, I, you know, people would say, oh, but you know, if you don't have full service, how are you going to get the hospitality? I think you can do it you know I think you can do it um I also am not like the biggest fan of uh, making the majority of my money today uh between 7 30 8 o'clock at night and midnight I, I I my lifestyle is is very different than from when I started specifically working in restaurants but opening restaurants you know I've got a family I love my family and I don't want to be uh, never at home at night. There were years. My, I can't even believe my wife is still with me. I, I, I praise her every day. I can't believe it. When I opened up the meatball shop, she didn't see me for two years. She did not see me unless she came to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Thank God we didn't have kids then. She would have left for sure. For sure. But, but she didn't see me. And when I opened up Seymour's, she didn't see me. We just had a son. And luckily, I, was, I had figured out a plan so that it wasn't nearly as long as, 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 as Meatball Shop, but for seven, eight months, rare that I was home before nine o'clock at night, rare. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't see that being my future. I see having a, you know, a restaurant um, that uh, I am in, at the helm of, but I don't have to be there every minute of the day. Um, and then maybe down the road, having like a really cool sort of like I love that sort of really cool grocery hot food, cold food bar that that's like a real community kind of place where people can that people trust. I think Erwan kills it. I think Erwan does an amazing job. I love
0: that business. So I'm not afraid of that. I actually think that's cool. Right on. It's an industry podcast. And so I ask everyone at the end. Is they, do they have any thoughts for the industry? Is there anything that you would like to say to the people that are listening? There's a lot of hope out there, but there's a lot of fear too. Human beings
1: crave experience. Since the beginning of time, human beings have craved experience. Digital, non-tangible experiences are not going to cut the pie forever, right? So human beings are going to go back to craving this 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 desire of of community and in person experience specifically over food and beverage it's It's going to come back there is absolutely no doubt that it is going to come back and it's going to be strong and everybody's going to be like ah. the 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 way that I would say um." you know i'm dealing with this is i understand that every single person in my industry and by the way on the planet right now is affected by this thing it doesn't matter if you're in the restaurant business or what business no business restaurant business you're an artist you're a you're a painter you're a you're a marathon runner you're affected everybody's affected you're not alone We are all dealing with this and we are all concerned and we are all scared. Um, But the fact that we're all together makes it positive. Because for one time, people are together thinking about, for the first time that I can ever remember, thinking about ways to be better. So, you know, somebody said something to me uh, recently that was just incredible. And I asked her, "Hey, like, what you know? Do you have a piece of advice that that you like to pass on to people that was passed on to you?" And she said, "Yeah, all it takes is all you've got." And I was like, "That's the truth. All it takes is all you've got." And so that's the way I'm looking at this. You know, I'm not stopping. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm pumping the the gas a little bit on like the the necessity to be on the computer all the time. I'm actually focusing on my family, uh, and paying and like not, not working 18 hours a day. I'm, I work from 11 to four. Uh, and I try to get as much work done as possible, but all it takes is all you got. And that's where we're at. You know, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot to get back to where we, where we once were, but it will happen and, uh, and we'll do it together. And, um, Everybody loves making memories or, or having memories. And I, 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 people ask me what business I'm in, and I typically say I'm in the, me, the memory-making business. You know what I mean? Like I, I make memories for people, and, and, and sometimes those memories are off the hook amazing, and sometimes we fuck up, and those memories are not so good. <laughs> uh, but that gives us an opportunity to make, develop relationships. So I just say stay positive. You know, human beings are always going to want what we offer as an industry. And, uh, it might not, it might not be exactly where we were. Things might change a little bit, but I can't imagine this, this changing, making a massive change. I just can't, I just think people are going to want to go out for dinner on Friday nights and, and love it, you know? And, uh, and, and hopefully if there is a change, it's a change for the better.
0: That's Chef Michael Chernow. To check out what he's working on next, go to michaelchernow.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.